join me in Hebrews chapter 12? Amen. As you're turning there, I want to invite um, the kids um, to come up for a moment. And I have a, a blow pop for each of the kids here. So be bold. Come up front. I'm just going to. I haven't really asked the parents if you're okay to have sugar, but. All right, grab a blow pop. Even big kids. Oh, Jason, big kid got one already without asking. He's, he's grounded. All right. Yeah, good job. Good. Easy, easy, down boys. Anyone else? All right. Okay. I'll leave him up here if at any moment you'd like to have a blow pop, feel free. Um, I don't know about you, but I love these as a kid, right? It's kind of like two in one, right? You, you, um, could you open this for me? It's going to be hard to do that while I'm... All right, thank you. Um, <laughs> I love this, right? I mean, having a blow pop, it was something that, you know, you, you just... It's, it's like the gum is in the middle, right? And you just kind of like, yeah, thank you. It's good. And so you like eat it. And you just kind of like lick it really, you know. And you just keep going after it. Right? You just keep going. And it could take a long time. Go for it, Josh. <laughs> Be sure to share. Um, I'll leave this here too if someone else gets an urge. Right? But, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Like you would have these and you would eat these and, and you know, <laughs> I didn't plan on this. It was just like totally off script here. <laughs> But, but you would go after it, right? Because even though you can't see the gum inside, you, you believe the promise on the package, right? You believe the promise on the package. And so you keep going. I mean, you lick the life out of the lollipop to get to what's better in the middle, right? And so you keep going, you keep licking the lollipop, you keep going after it. And even though your jaw might get tired, especially when you're little, little, right? You put these in little kids' mouths and you know, and it's, they just keep going after it. And, and you know, it's better. You know that there's something better inside. You know this. And I remember as a kid, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd take one of these and I would often just pull it out of my mouth just to see how much closer I was getting to the gum. Right. You'd be like, oh, I'm almost there. Right. And so you just keep going. And it's, like, it's cheating if you chew it, like if you bite into the lollipop. So don't cheat. Don't, don't, don't bite. It's cheating. So you just go crazy on the lollipop, right? You lick the life out of it to get to what's better in the middle. And then you know that what's, you know, you believe the promise on the package. You know it's there. And you, maybe you've had blow pops in your past so, and you've experienced it. You know it's there. You believe the promise. And so what do you do? What would I do when I would, my jaw would get tired, right? Or whatever. You just pull it. I say, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. Keep going. Keep going. And you're just like, oh, yes. And then you chew it. And then the gum is so bad. It's like disintegrates in like two seconds, right? But you just keep going. You keep going because you know it's better. And in this letter to Hebrews, the writer writes this letter because he wants to encourage the people. He wants to remind them that, yes, following Jesus gets hard. And, and when following Jesus gets hard, you have to believe that following Jesus is still better. And up to this point in our study of Hebrews, we've seen that the writer lay out the strong case for why Jesus is better, 
right? Jesus is better because he's the better voice. He's the better word. He's, he's better than angels. He's better than Moses. He's the better rest. He's the better high priest. His covenant, this way of living that he calls his people to live is better. And then he, he presents this large crowd of people who followed God, even when following God got hard. Why? Because they kept believing that Jesus was better. They kept enduring. They kept going because they were looking. They're going, yes, Jesus is better. And, and I think many of us know, right, you know that Jesus is better. You believe that following Jesus is better. But what do you do in that moment when following Jesus gets hard? Even though you know and believe that following Jesus is better, you know this, right? You believe this. But what do you do in that moment when following Jesus gets hard? And I think the writer of Hebrews is going to answer that question for us this morning in Hebrews chapter 12. I think he's going to answer the question, here's what you do when following Jesus gets hard. And, and that's the truth I want us to get a hold of this morning from Hebrews chapter 12, that you know following Jesus is better. You, you believe that following Jesus is better. But what do you do in that moment when following Jesus gets hard? And the writer's going to tell us. He's going to say, here's what you do. You get thinking and you get thankful. You get thinking and you get thankful. And let's unpack that this morning. Hebrews chapter 12. And let's follow the writer's flow of thought in Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 1 through 4. Follow along as I read. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So let's stop there for a moment. What's he saying here? When following Jesus gets hard, he's saying this. You need to get thinking about Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for you. And that's what he's saying here in verses 1 through 4. Now, we've just read in Hebrews chapter 11, and thank you, Jeremy, for preaching that message on Hebrews chapter 11. And, and the writer has just, just kind of given this, this list of, of people that followed, followed God even when following God got hard. And you would think that he might say, the writer here in chapter 12 might say, hey, listen, look, look back and see your grandma and grandpa and your mom and your dad, how faithful they were to the Lord. And, and you just keep looking at them. And, and man, they endured even though they went through difficult times. And, and he's not saying that that's a bad thing. I mean, it's great that you have this history of people in your life that follow God even when following God got hard. But instead of saying, look at them, what's he tell us to do? And he tells us, verse 2. He says, looking to Jesus. Because he said it wasn't that they had some special strength that enabled them to get through. It was their faith in Jesus that got them through. And so he's saying what you all need to do when following Jesus gets hard. Don't look at those in, in the past, right? And, and that's a great thing that we have them to, to look at and say, man, their faith was great. But look at their faith in Jesus. Look at the, who are they putting their faith in? Jesus. He said, look to Jesus. And, and the word look there means to look away from something to something else. Look away from that distracting sin. Look away from your circumstance. And he says, look to Jesus. Yeah, he's saying, yeah, your ancestors, because this was written to Jewish Christians. So he's saying, your Jewish ancestors, yeah, man, they endured. 
They kept believing. They kept looking at the, right? They kept, yeah, all right, I'm getting there. Right? I, I see it. I know it's better. And they kept looking. But what did they look at? They kept looking at Jesus. And that's what got them through. And so the writer's challenging us and reminding them. And he's saying, listen, when following Jesus gets hard, get thinking about Jesus. Well, what do you, what do, you do when you get thinking about Jesus? Well, he tells us in, in chapter uh, or in verse 2, he says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's basically saying, listen, look at Jesus. Get thinking about how Jesus has saved you from sin and how he went to the cross and how he didn't give up on the cross. He endured the cross. Even though it was hard, Jesus didn't give up. Jesus kept going. And he's like, keep looking at Jesus and who he is and what he's done for you. He's given you the faith to believe in him. He's provided forgiveness for you from your sins. His blood on the cross has set you free from the guilt of your sin. He's brought you into a relationship with the Father. All these amazing things. Get thinking about Jesus, who he is. He's the founder and perfecter of your faith, who endured the cross. And then it says, it's what? He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Again, in Hebrews, we see the writer reminding us that Jesus is seated. What's that mean? Well, if he's seated, it means the work is done. He's provided forgiveness for you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to try to deserve it. He's done that for you already through his death on the cross. So he goes home and he sits down because he's done the work. So get thinking about who Jesus is and what he's done for you. He's provided forgiveness and freedom from guilt and freedom from religion and, and ritual. He's better. And then it's as if, if, if they didn't get it the first time, he, he goes on and he says in verse 3, Consider him who endured from sinners. Consider him. Now that word consider literally means to think over, to ponder, to contemplate. And that's why I say you just, when following Jesus gets hard, you need to just stop and, and just get thinking about Jesus. And get thinking about who he is. And what he's done, and maybe some of us need to stop looking at how, at how hard our circumstance is. And we need to turn our attention and our gaze to Jesus instead. It's not denying that the circumstance or hardship is there. But sometimes we can just get so focused on it, right, that we miss the beauty of who Jesus is. And that he's the one who's going to get us through. So he says, consider him who endured. Well, why? Why should we consider Jesus who endured? Well, he tells us. In verse 3, he says, so that. That little phrase talks about purpose. He's like, here's why you need to be looking at Jesus. Here's why you need to be contemplating and thinking about Jesus. So that. Why? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Faint He's answering the question. Here's what you do when following Jesus gets hard. You get thinking about Jesus. right? That's so counter, isn't it, to how we talk normally in our world. Following Jesus gets hard, so what do we do? Stop spending time with Jesus. Stop spending time with Jesus' people. We typically do the opposite. Right? When, when following Jesus gets hard. Why would God allow? And, and I understand those are real and honest questions. But in those moments when following Jesus gets hard, what we need to do is not run from Jesus, but run to Jesus. You have to do opposite oftentimes of what you feel. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, no, you've got to get, when, when following Jesus gets hard, when life doesn't make sense, when the circumstance is there, the, the, the miracle isn't happening, or it seems like he's delaying on keeping the promise, you get thinking about Jesus, who he is and what he's doing and what he's done. And so he's like, yeah, when following Jesus gets hard, to pres the prescription you need is to get thinking about Jesus. Early on in our married life, when we lived in Springfield, Ohio, there was a mall called Upper Valley Mall. And um, this was before we had kids. 
And I remember walking through this mall with Andrea, and we were just walking, holding hands. And I don't even remember what she was talking about, but I was just so mesmerized by her. All right? And still am. All right? So, so, so mesmerized and just so focused on, on her and what she's saying to me. And all this. we're just walking and holding hands. I'm just so, like, distracted by her. And we, we're, we're heading out of the mall. And kind of, there's, like, this breezeway, glass breezeway, right? There's a set of doors and then a breezeway and then another set of doors. You following me? All right, so, so we're just walking, and I mean, we're going at a pretty steady pace, and I thought we were in line to like go through the door. We weren't, and we're just like, and I went, <laughs> I mean, I just hit this glass door super hard. I mean, just, I mean, the whole thing started shaking, right, like then, oh, you know, and so we go, you know, you know the first thing you do is you look around, like, who, who, who saw this, <laughs> right, right, and so we're like, okay, let's just get out of here, oh, you know, go through, and there, there's this little, little lady, older lady sitting down on the floor for whatever, and, she, and I get through the breezeway, and she's like, oh, you know, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, thank you, right, whatever, whatever, so and just keep on going, and often in life, what happens is, right, following Jesus gets hard, and we tend to run from Jesus, and we allow our circumstances, we get distracted by our circumstances, and what he's saying is, no, you need to get so focused, so distracted on Jesus, you need to turn your gaze on Jesus that you don't even notice the circumstances around you. And so in that moment when following Jesus gets harder, that distracting sin starts to whisper in your ear. He's saying, no, instead of that, get mesmerized about Jesus again. Get thinking about Jesus again. And it's so counter, I get it, from what we typically do. But that's why he's reminding them. He's saying, no, no, no. When following Jesus gets hard, Get thinking about him and who he is and what he's done. And then, and then he keeps going. Verses 5 through 17, he says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And he quotes from the book of Proverbs. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? In which all have participated, or if you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are a legitimate children and not sons. Verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but... Later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. In these verses, I think the writer reminds us that when following Jesus gets hard, not only do we need to get thinking about Jesus, who he is and what he's done, but we need to get thinking that he's made us a child of God. If you notice how many times he refers to, um, to the people reading this letter, Christians, as sons, right? He's talking about this parent-child relationship. 
And it's almost he's saying, you've forgotten that you're, that, you're, that you're children of God. He says it in verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And I love the writer here because he quotes from the book of Proverbs. Why? From the Old Testament. Well, as we've talked about already in this study, he's writing to Jewish Christians. They loved the Old Testament. They respected and held in great respect and honor and revered the Old Testament. So it's, it's like he's saying, listen, I think you're going to hear it better if, you, if, if I bring it out to you from this, these scriptures that I know you love and respect. And so he brings out this proverb and he says, listen, and it's God speaking. He says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So he's He's taking them back to the Old Testament scripture. He's saying, listen, you've forgotten that God has made you a child of the Father. You've forgotten this. And and why is he bringing this up? I, I think it's possible that he wants them to pause for a moment and think, maybe the hardship you're experiencing is because the Lord is disciplining you. Like a loving father. Listen, not every hardship is an act of discipline of the Father. Let me make that clear. But sometimes God does allow hardship because we've been running from the Father. Think of the the prodigal son, right? He ran from the Father, and so he ends up squandering the wealth, ends up finds himself in the pig pen, but through that discipline, he comes back to the Father, right? And so I think the writer's saying, listen, don't forget who you are, that you're a child of the Father, that Jesus through his redemption, through his bloodshed on the cross, has made you, not only has he forgiven you of your sins, but he's made you a child of God. And there's something beautiful in that. And so I, th- I think he wants them to understand that, listen, you're a child of the Father. And David Guzik, who's a theologian and pastor and teacher, says this. He says, the quotation from Proverbs 3 reminds us that God's discipline should never be taken as a sign of his rejection. It is rather a sign of his treating us as his children. And then if you look at verse 11, he says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's, it's like a loving father. He's saying, listen, maybe for some of you, you're experiencing difficulty because you've been running in rebellion against the father. And the purpose for this hardship is to get you to awaken to your sin and to bring you back into fellowship with him. Again, it's not saying that every hardship is because of a specific choice of sin, but sometimes... Hardship is because of our choice to sin, and God allows it. So we can't deny what it's saying here. That's uncomfortable, but that's what it's saying, and we need to just embrace that. And so I think the challenge for us is to say, maybe have I been living in rebellion against God? Am I running from the Lord? Am I in sin? And if so, maybe the hardship you're experiencing is because God loves you so much that like a loving father, he's disciplining you to get you to come back home. So that you return and repent and experience that fellowship with the Father again. And that's what discipline does. And, he, and he's saying this. Listen, a loving father disciplines his kids. Listen, I've never walked into someone else's home and disciplined their kids. How weird would that be? I show up at your door. I'm like, dude, bring it. Where are your kids? You're coming with me. You're all grounded. Later, I'm out. How weird would that be? Or if you came into my house and did, I'd be like, they probably deserve it. Let them have it. Never been done, right? You can tell who my kids are by the ones I ground or discipline. They're my kids. And you know they're my kids because they're the ones that I'm disciplining. And that's what he's saying is, 
listen, you know who God's kids are by the ones he disciplines. And oftentimes we just look at the discipline like God is so mean. No, God is loving that he would do that so much that he wants that relationship restored with you. So he'll allow that in your life to bring you back into fellowship with him. That's a loving dad. And regardless of what your earthly father was like or earthly father is like, you need to know that you have a heavenly father who loves you so much that he will do whatever it takes to bring you back into fellowship with him. That's how good of a God he is. That's how good of a father he is. And it's if the writer's saying, and he says in verse 5, he's like, you've forgotten who, who you are. You've forgotten that you're a child of God. You're not, you're not abandoned. You're not forsaken. He's for you. He's not against you. And you need to understand that and embrace that. And so when following Jesus gets hard, get thinking about Jesus and who he is and what he's done for you. And get thinking that you're a child of, a, of the Father who loves you so much that he will pursue you to bring you back in a relationship with him. And unlike Esau, he says, repent. For some of you, you need to repent because you've been living in rebellion against God. And you need to acknowledge it and you need to be aware of your sin. And you tell God, sorry. And, and when I would discipline my kids, there'd be times when after we discipline our, our kids and you know, there'd be tears when they're, you know, big tears coming down their face. And not all the time, but sometimes there would just be this natural embrace after discipline. It's weird. It's counter, right? You feel like, man, they're going to hate you, whatever. And sometimes, you know, they don't always like it, right? I get it. But there are moments when after the discipline, through the tears, they, they become aware of what they've done and how it's wrong. And they acknowledge it. And then they come and they hug. And in that moment, the discipline has achieved its purpose. It's brought you back into relationship and fellowship with the Father. That intimacy with God is restored. And that's what he's saying. Don't forget who you are. A child of the Father. And so when following Jesus gets hard, you need to get thinking about Jesus, who he is and what he's done for you. Get thinking that you're a child of God. And then he keeps going. And in verses 18 through the end of the chapter, he says, you need to get thankful. He says, you need to get thankful that God has, that Christ has brought you into his kingdom. Verse 18, he says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come. Notice the contrast, right? In verse 18, he says, you have not come. But here, in verse 22, he says, but you have come. So he's making a contrast here. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal guests. I mean, just, just picture this. This is amazing. And, and, and we just kind of just read it and we're like moving on. Man, just picture what he's saying here. To the church, he's saying this to you as a child of God, as a, as a child of the Father, as, as part of the body of Christ. He's saying, look at what you've been brought into. Before the Jewish ancestors, they couldn't go into the presence of God. Terrifying. You couldn't act because God is so holy. But now through Jesus, he's removed the barrier of sin so that you too can now go in and access and be in the presence of the king forever. And that's what he's saying. But you, you've come because of what Jesus has done you can come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. God is alive, the heavenly Jerusalem. And, and you come to a place of innumerable angels and festal, joyful gathering. 
And in this gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn, this talking about the church who are enrolled in heaven. And God is there, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Talk about these people that, were children of, that are children of God that have gone before us. And to Jesus, Jesus is there, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Then go down to verse 28, it says, Therefore, because of what God has done for you, because of what God has brought you into this amazing kingdom, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. He's saying, listen, there's going to come a day when God is going to make all things new and, and the earth is going to be gone and the heavens as we see it is going to be gone. But there's one thing that will always remain and it's the kingdom of God. And he's saying, no one can shake that kingdom. And he's saying, listen, Jesus has brought you into this kingdom. And thousands upon thousands, it's like a big parade, and thousands upon thousands of angels are there. And the church, people from, from China, people from Bahrain, from India, from Canada, from South Africa, from England, you name it. The people that know Jesus from all over the world, they're there. Father is there. The Son is there. You're there. We're there. And we're, it's just this huge celebration. And because of what God has done and because of what Jesus has done, he's brought you into this kingdom. He says, therefore, let us be grateful for receive. We've received it. It's something that he's given you. Receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This past week, uh, I was up in Vancouver, Canada with, with, with Redden, and we were at a house church conference up there. And the couple that was the family we stayed with were friends, our friends of Redden and um, and they had these VR glasses, goggles, you know, like virtual reality. I've never done anything like that before in my life. I'm not a huge risk taker. Um, that was an experience. So I put those bad boys on, and they did this thing like a roller coaster. You ever done that? Have you ever, how many of you ever had those goggles on, done something like that? It's wild, man. It's crazy. And I'm old. And so, you know, you can put these things on, and it's like this roller coaster. And, man, you, it feels real. Like your body physically responds to this, this thing that you're seeing. And like you can look behind you and you can see. It's crazy. And like I'm going up on this, this roller coaster. And then like the, the track, there's brakes. Like there's nothing there. And I'm like, I'm like crying. I'm like, whoa. I'm just like, you know, all this stuff. And they're like over in the corner, <laughs> snickering and taking video. And like, <laughs> look at that guy from the U.S. You know, whatever. All this stuff, you know. And they're just making fun and stuff like that. And then I did another one. It's like the spacewalk, right? And you're like, you're like literally going like this, you know, in their house. And you're like grabbing things, pulling your way, you know, trying to float through the air and all this stuff. And it's fake. It's complete fake. But you feel like you're in a whole nother world. And the writer's going, listen, because of Jesus and his blood, when you surrender your life to Jesus, he brings you into his kingdom, and it's not fake. It's real. So that picture that, you just, that we just read, that picture of this festal gathering, innumerable angels, and the churches, are, that's reality. And you get to experience that now, and we'll experience it in its fullness later. And so when, in that moment when Jesus transforms your heart, he brings you into his kingdom where he is king. And not only is he your king, but you get to have a relationship with this king where you know him and he knows you. And it's like he's saying, listen, so in that moment when following Jesus gets hard, get thinking about Jesus, who he is and what he's done for you. Get thinking that he's made you a child of the father and get thankful that you've been brought into amazing kingdom 
the kingdom of God. And Jesus spoke of the kingdom often. Just read the Gospels and circle every time he talks about the kingdom. And he says, seek ye first, Jesus said, the kingdom of God. Just imagine for a moment if, if every time we felt like giving up on Jesus, we worship Jesus. And that's exactly what he says. So what do we do? What's our response to this? Well, he tells us. Look at the end of verse verse 8. Or verse, I'm sorry, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, that means, that little word thus, I had to look it up online. What's that mean? Thus. It means because of this. He's like, because of this, because of what Jesus has done for you, this is your response. He says, thus, let us offer to God acceptable Worship, acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Why? For our God is a consuming fire. So what's our response? What do we do? We worship. In that moment when that sin is staring staring at you and whispering in your ear, what do you do? You pause and you worship. In that moment when life doesn't seem to make sense because you're following Jesus, you pause and you worship. And that's the challenge for us. When following Jesus gets hard, what do you do? You worship the king of the kingdom. That's what we got to do. And here's the challenge. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're saved, you've surrendered your life to him, then when following Jesus gets hard this week, when you feel like giving up, pause. And in that moment, worship. And in that moment, get thinking about Jesus and how good he is and what he's done for you. Get thinking that you're a child of the Father and that you're loved. And you get thankful that he's brought you into this amazing kingdom. All because of what he done for, did for us on the cross. And that's a challenge. And, and, and to the kids this morning, let me challenge you guys. Kids, look up at me. This week, when you find it difficult to obey your mom and dad, when you feel like getting angry rather than being kind, or in that moment when you feel like maybe your friends don't like you, think about Jesus. Think about what he's done for you. Think about how much he loves you. And you just thank him in that moment. Because this isn't just for moms and dads. This is for you too. And so it's kind of like, it's been sitting there for a little while. Right? You believe he's better. You know he's better. Right? And what the writer's just saying, you just... You just keep looking. You just keep focused. You just keep thinking about Jesus and how much he loves you, that you're a child of the Father, and that he's brought you in his kingdom. And in that moment this week, when you find it hard to follow Jesus, pause and worship. Pray with me.